0: Hello, I'm Gabby. Welcome to episode 50, the final episode of season 1 of The Happier Life Project, brought to you by free mental health and wellness app My Possible Self in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. To close the season, I thought it would be nice to look back at some of the best advice and takeaways over the last 49 episodes that can help us all on our journey to building a happier life. And I've got to tell you, putting this show together was pretty challenging because all of our guests have brought such interesting and unique perspectives, but we only have time to reflect back on a handful of them. So, What I thought would be most helpful for you is to pull out some of my favourite aha moments from the themes that most of us seem to really struggle with the most, such as confidence, self-love, childhood wounds, negative thoughts, imposter syndrome, And a lot of this stuff does transport us back to earlier episodes in the season. So for regular listeners to the podcast, this will be a great refresher for you. And for more newbies to the Happier Life Project, you likely won't have heard some of these gems before. So, are you ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started with some words on cultivating confidence from Mina B.
1: Science shows that 80% of our thoughts throughout the day are negative, right? And so we are in some ways wired as a form of survival to think the worst as a way Mm. to feel good. And one of the things that we have to do when we find that there is something that is trying to shatter our level of confidence, one, we might have to grieve whatever that loss was. We also have to do the work of recognizing, am I taking this personally? So that person who didn't get the job promotion, you not getting a job promotion doesn't necessarily mean you're not adequate. But taking it personally might mean I'm to blame. I'm taking this as a personal attack against me when it could simply Mm -hmm. be they were really great candidates. I could only select one out of five and it just ended up being that other person. It has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with you not being good enough. Even in that relationship, you might find that, because of our incompatibility, that's why we're separating. It's not that you're not lovable. It's not that you aren't likable. So we also have to recognize, how do I take things personally? How do I see things as a personal attack against me versus recognizing this was an experience. It was a hard experience, but I can grow through this experience. I can learn from this experience and I can continue to shape myself and give myself the things that I need to continue to cultivate confidence. A lot of people Mm -hmm. will say to me, how do I become fearless in the pursuit of my own happiness? And I say, why do you have to be fearless? Why can't you pursue happiness while also just being afraid at the same time? So we as a society, that term being fearless, being fearless, fear is a feeling. There's no way to eradicate feelings. And I think that when people learn to manage their emotions and stop allowing their emotions to control them or dictate their decisions, they may find themselves moving closer to happiness. There's another Mm. thing I want to add to that, though. And there's a concept called delusional optimism. And what that means is we create these stories in our head that we get very hopeful and optimistic for. And we say until that thing happens, I'll be happy. And what that does is it takes away from us recognizing the things that we have in front of us. That also plays a role in our happiness. So what we do is we say, I can't be happy until dot, dot, dot. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. When we reflect on that, we recognize, again, we're standing in our own way. By creating Mm. this false narrative that says, there's no way with what I have now, I can't be happy. But when I get that thing, I'll be happy. And Mm. I think we all have to really reflect on that because that's us. We do it to ourselves. It's our mindset. And until we shift that mindset, we're going to stay stuck in the place that we're in.
2: Don't buy everything your mind tells you, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. learn to question it. Mm. And, and use any method you want. And, and, and I like meditation practices that has some of the same elements of sitting there and listening or noticing what's going on in you. I like circling. I like radical honesty. I like all uh, all, all kinds of practices that that opens you up to, to renewing your perspective on this. Mm. Take the time to sit down and, and it doesn't have to be like a practice of now I sit down like this. It could be just, what are you doing with your mind when you're on the bus on the way home? How do you treat yourself there? At a certain age, we think everything is about us. The sad thing is, if we never question it it, and we never discover how lovable we are and how all our apparent deficiencies are the most lovable thing about us, and we continue to strive for some sort of perfection that we'll never get. And our true nature is very, very kind and loving and, and wants the best for everybody. Yes, that is easy to say and difficult to do. And that's where I really love the practice of the work of Byron Katie, because that practice does it.
0: Who is Byron Katie?
2: Yeah, Byron Katie. You you can find at thework.com. She's she's a this this American self help teacher kind of kind of guru right. Uh, right. Uh, character. She she saw this process of investigating your beliefs and that the beliefs are the things that create the world and 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 this notion of of questioning came to her. She had no background knowledge of anything, which makes her approach so fresh that she has turned into this this very impactful process of first asking some questions, specific series of questions. Is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How do you react? What happens when you believe it? And who would you be without it? which is like a way of opening our system mm-hmm. up and waking it up to this may be a really bad idea yeah. to believe. We grow up in a certain environment and, and that creates a certain perspective. And then we start creating our world through that. And then we find tons of proof that we are not good enough. Yeah. But actually, when we start really questioning it, we discover that's very bad proof. It's, and it's so skewed in a certain direction. And Instead, let's question those beliefs. And as they disappear, we discover how lovable we are. And we don't have to do anything for it. We just see it. We see, wow. That was so sweet. I did that stupid, stupid thing. And I really did it out of the kindest heart. Or even I did that mean thing, but I did it because I was so scared, you know, mm. and beginning to see that in myself, I also begin to see it in others. And so when others treat me in certain ways, I don't see evil people or mean people. I see perhaps frightened people or people who think there's not enough or, mm. and, and that just brings out my compassion for them instead of bringing out my, a war or struggle with them. And so life just becomes different and much easier.
0: Yeah, like what's a simple activity that we can do based on what we've talked about today, letting go of these old stories and beliefs that will help us on our journey to building a happier life.
2: Taking some time with yourself, like slowing down. When when your mind is going crazy, slow down and look at what is it I'm actually believing. Like, Like go deeper. Don't just believe what's on the surface. Look at what's feeding it because it's all about awareness. And the more aware you can become about what's actually going on in you, the more it will release, like becoming aware that there's an hour and 10 minutes and not just 10 minutes. That's what shifts it. The awareness itself shifts it. So don't buy the first thought that comes into your head. You know, question it. With whatever tools you have, you have it all in you.
3: When you acknowledge one thing, because of how our brains work, it has a a knock on effect. Because if one thing is true, and, you, and you've changed your narrative around that, then suddenly other things that you built your life and your story around suddenly can't be true anymore. Because if two and a half year old me was not responsible for my parents breaking up and wasn't responsible for how they treated me or didn't treat me, you know, neglect and yeah, sometimes experiencing abuse and stuff. If I'm not responsible for that, then all of a sudden it's like, well, hold on a second. Why are you accepting shady behavior from partners mm. Mm. doesn't this mean that actually you are worthy of more than you've allowed yourself to be doesn't this mean that there are other options for you because you know if I can have a hand in my in my own misery then surely I can have a hand in my own happiness so something I say to people is we often make this boundaries thing like super complicated we often make this Mm -hmm. meeting our needs thing super complicated but simply (laughs) if you pay attention to do you hold weeds do you skip meals do you delay sleep do you work really long hours? These are metaphors for how you feel about your needs. How we do one thing is is how we do other things. And so these are metaphors for how much we prioritize ourselves. Mm. You know, essentially mm-hmm. when we're holding a we, we're going... My boss or the computer or social media or money or whatever it is, is a greater priority than the very basic of of needs. We're skipping and delaying ourselves. You know, you skip a meal, you're skipping yourself. You're delaying yeah. sleep, you know, you're skipping over rest. It's all messages to the self about how much you are valuing yourself, prioritizing yourself mm. in that moment. We humans are designed to feel. We're not designed to suppress and repress so aside from it playing out as you know when we're really backed up emotionally then we are going to for instance start to feel well we end up feeling numb or even dead inside and then sometimes then and in fact often what happens is in order to feel alive at times to sort of have that escapism we start doing what can become some pretty destructive and toxic stuff to kind of escape ourselves and feel a temporary high from that. So that's how you can start to get into, you know, a, a compulsive behavior. And so it could be you're over exercising, you're overeating, you're consuming too much alcohol, you're doing drugs. Like these things are symptomatic of where we have stopped feeling or we're just not feeling enough. Burnout is a classic symptom of unfelt feelings, outbursts. So you know I call it imploding and exploding. Because that's like you know you know pressure cookers and yeah and so after a while it's going to explode if you left that on the hob it would just boom and we're yeah. like that as humans as well so we can implode which is where we just explode internally so that becomes like a breakdown for instance feeling low. But it can be exploding, where actually other people are experiencing from from us as well. You know, we're lashing out. It feels like the slightest yeah. thing, and we could
0: pop off at any moment. Yeah, it's misdirected, right? It's like yeah. usually over something small, but it's not the root of why. Yeah, feeling tipped
3: over the edge. You know that. Mm. Is, that's you know, it's also a good way of knowing whether you are feeling your feelings that maybe you're stuffing a lot down is if there's a lot that's going on chatter wise in the head Mm. where you're like how are they asking me to do that again don't people realize i've got so much going on oh people just but or you're criticizing yourself and that's how we end up stewing you know i call these the people pleaser feelings anxiety resentment guilt overwhelm feeling overloaded helplessness powerlessness feeling low these are all the people pleaser feelings. If you're not saying no when you need, want to, and should, then your yes is inauthentic. You're just telling lies. You're telling people what you think they mm-hmm. want to hear. You're saying yes, not because that's actually what you want to say, but because you haven't even bothered to consider yourself or because you're afraid of what would happen if you didn't say yes. And so I uh, in realizing that everything in life is about boundaries, and when I realized that, wow, learning how to say no is the gateway to ourselves to more fulfilling relationships to having better careers just having a better life a more joyful life all around to reclaiming ourselves from all of the bs that we've internalized you know growing Mm. up but also in adulthood as well
0: The wonderful Natalie Lou who we had on episode 27 of the Happier Life Project. That episode was called Free Yourself from Emotional Baggage. And before it, you heard from Ernest holmes Svensson. He covered episode two and three of the Happier Life Project, talking about how to identify and challenge limiting beliefs and release the stories that screw up your life. I'm Gabby. Thank you so much for joining me for our end of season wrap up show. We will be back in the fall or autumn for our UK listeners with season two, and I do have something exciting coming up before that, which I'd love you to join me to take part in. I can't talk about it just yet, so the best way to keep in touch is by following us on Instagram. We are at My Possible Self, and if you haven't already downloaded the app, if you do that and opt to receive emails, don't worry, we don't bombard you. Then you can also keep on top of all the cool stuff we've got coming up. Okay, next up, check out when I spoke to Josh Connolly about moving on from a toxic upbringing and healing childhood wounds. Can you truly heal without bringing your pain to the attention of the parent? Because if your relationship is okay, Is it worth rocking the boat, especially if that parent is like quite volatile, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like you use the word a mirror. So it's like a reflection. And, you know, sometimes people can be quick to react when they feel like they're under attack or having to defend.
4: The first question you have to ask yourself, right, is what relationship is my parent able to show up to? Right. That's the first question what is the relationship that they are able to show up to right so so are they able to be there for you emotionally right and you have to be really clear with yourself are they able to be there for emotionally me emotionally yes or no right maybe the answer is no right are they able to be there to meet up and maybe the best that they can offer me is that they will meet me semi regularly to talk about themselves and their world right am i willing To have a relationship with that. Right. And I think for a lot of people, the answer will be yeah. Right. Like, I want to have some kind of, and if that's the best they can give me, then that's the best they can give me. Right. But that's the decision that you have to make. Yeah. What you can't do, what you can't do, or what's going to make your life hard is if you spend your life not only trying to keep the relationship, but trying to keep it all in a way that you want to have, that you can dream of, that your parent is never going to be able to show up for. So mm. I do think there's a lot to be said for adjusting your expectations, right? Mm. How badly do I want the relationship and how much can they show up to that? And if you want to build a relationship with what they can show up to, right? I think probably everybody has to do that with their parents, right? Because you get to an age and you realize, you know, my my parents are human beings. They're not godlike figures, right? And they're not mm. exactly like me and they deal with things differently. And so we everybody has to do a certain amount of give and take within any relationship, Right. But when you're at the kind of back end of it being in this toxic state, you have to make a decision. Now for a lot of people, or for some people at least, the reality is is there's no way of being in a relationship because the only way that this person can show up in the relationship is to make me feel desperately unsafe and I've tried everything in terms of adjusting myself, yeah? Mm. But that's why the work on yourself becomes important because you, you need to understand how much of this is my responsibility and how much is their responsibility.
0: How do you feel about forgiveness?
4: People have different ideas of what forgiveness is. So mm-hmm. some people will say forgiveness is nothing to do with the individual, right? That's hurt you and all to do with how how you let go of it so that it doesn't have any power over you. I quite like that idea. But look, I think it depends what, what somebody's done to you. Yeah. And I've had people that have, have hurt me badly in my life and they have no impact on my life whatsoever today. And I don't think I've forgiven them. I found a way to live where they don't impact my life. My problem with forgiveness is that sometimes it's portrayed as this ultimate spiritual ideal online, yeah. Yeah. and I think I think if you're not careful, it can it can lead to suppression because you think uh, the right thing to do is to be a spiritual person is to forgive, and so you push it down and mm-hmm. pretend it doesn't affect you anymore. And I think it's more complex than that sometimes.
0: As a resilience coach. How does that play into what we're talking about when it comes to managing pain?
4: You know, what I try to get people to understand when it comes to resilience is that, you know, I'll start off by saying some people get a bit uncomfortable by the word resilience, right? Because I think people have experienced a life where they feel like I don't need resilience. I don't need to keep going, but that's a miscon, you know, it's a misunderstanding of what resilience is. Resilience is way more about self understanding, self awareness, knowing what's going on and knowing what I need in that moment, right? And so whether that means taking my foot off the gas, then maybe it does. If it means gritting my teeth for a moment to get through it and then allowing myself some space, then, then it's that. But it's about self-awareness and it's about understanding who I am and the resources that I need to be able to be in, in the world in the way that I am.
0: Feeling okay with who you are, taking off some of the armor that you've, you don't even know that you've built and been wearing since you were a child. Like, where, where do you even start with that, Josh?
4: I would start by looking at the armor that you've been wearing but looking at it with compassion and love right and being able to say I'm so grateful that I was able to develop this armor to get me through to where I am today right so it's not about you know disowning or disliking what we've done to get to where we are it's about what you know being thankful and grateful for that whatever that armor looks like for me by the way that armor for a long time looked like addiction. Right. Mm -hmm. So being able to say to myself, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I had that because it got me to where I am. Right. Looking at it with that compassion, that self-compassion then leads to more self-compassion. We have to put ourselves at the center of our universe first. Right. That's where we have to start, because if you've lived a life where everybody else comes first at the expense of yourself, you have to put yourself back in the middle of your of your life. Right. And allow yourself to build from there and really get to what do I need, right? What works for me? Who am Mm. I? Those kind of things, all about yourself. Um, And then eventually you can evolve and grow as a person that can allow people back into that space, but in a way that is not at the expense of yourself, but it's more about bringing people into who you really are.
5: When I did my own self-love work back in the day in Manchester in my house, miserable on my own, it started with forgiveness. Like I just kind of realized that I had had these massive standards for myself that were unreachable anyway. And Mm. I was holding it against myself and I was thinking I didn't deserve better. And when I got to forgive myself, that was a big step. Then there was the self-talk. So the way I spoke to myself was like trash. We can't trust what we think. We cannot Mm. trust that. So self-talk, big piece. Then we have things like boundaries, you know, we're we're not taught boundaries, Mm. really, maybe a little bit by our parents. But in in my opinion, school should have full blown seminars on boundaries, not on physics, because it could be actually useful. A lot of this crap that women and men go through is learnt behavior. Mm. It's it's learnt Mm. in our younger years, we're not taught the right way. And so we struggle, and it normally comes to a head around that age. Sometimes, for people a bit younger, for me, it was like 29. Some people later as well, depending on their life path. All these things add up. Yeah. And so, when you start to unpack, firstly, what we've been taught in general about how humans should operate, what, you know, a normal human life of, being born, going to school, going to college, going to uni, then working in a job for 40 years and then having a pension and then getting old and then dying. It's like, no, I am not on that life path at all. This like validation seeking,
0: which is a trap, isn't it, that we fall into where it's like we want the validation off the partner that we look good or, you know, whatever, and then the validation from the employer. How do we go about... Validating ourselves so that we don't seek it
5: elsewhere. It's definitely possible and like we said earlier in the podcast, it comes from unpacking your personal life story, all the things where you didn't think you were worthy, all the things that you've been holding against yourself that you've not forgiven, all of these things and Mm. also learning to self-soothe, learning to do self-love practices, learning to have the awareness to catch Oh, look, that's not actually the truth. All these things, it's like a hundred pronged approach. Mm. At a certain point, it's like a a switch flicks. We know (laughs) we have an inner saboteur. We know we're not a perfect human. We know we have desires. We know we have boundaries. All of these things. And we can be with all of it. So self-love is not actually... You know, just loving ourselves, it's actually being able to be with ourselves when we do something wrong, when we're just not doing well. Like, can we Mm. still be with ourselves? And yes, there might be parts of that where it's like, yes, I love you so much that you do need to do better in certain aspects you do need to look at this you do need to take radical responsibility that that was not okay but it's from this like loving nurturing you're not a perfect human nobody is stop trying Mm. to be kind of approach that Mm. really is self-love
0: but how do we recognize if we or somebody we know is suffering from imposter syndrome what are some of the warning signs
6: some of the warning signs would be perfectionist tendencies and um, Brené Brown calls it the, this 20 ton shield like it's an incredibly exhausting way to live but it's a way in which many people choose to protect themselves from that fear of discovery a lack of confidence perhaps a sense of hiding so paralysis that can come about as a as a result of imposter syndrome which makes sense that paralysis again is a protect protective mechanism so say you have a dream you want to launch something new or you want to apply for that promotion yeah. if you know that there's something that you're holding back on um, and not taking up action on that you know that deep down that you could do it might be that it's that imposter syndrome belief that's blocking you you could say imposter syndrome is a form of anxiety um, because it's yeah. a fear of that future I'm going to be discovered or I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to fail and that imagined embarrassment or humiliation of being found out. So the majority of people I work with have anxiety symptoms alongside the typical, so panic attacks or sweating or shaking or those normal body responses to anxiety. But there will be people who experience imposter syndrome in more of a shut down way. Um, So more just kind of withdrawing, shutting down, disassociating um, as a way of protecting themselves. But I think it's a lot to do with labels as well, both in romantic relationships and in work. So in romantic relationships, who will I need to be to be a loving partner or to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend? What does that mean for me in terms of an identity or a wife or a husband? Do I have the skill, as it were, to live up to the often very idealized version of what that label comes with? And just like with a leadership Mm -hmm. position, someone will think, what does it mean to be a leader? And they'll come up with the top people that they can ever think of in a leadership position make assumptions Mm. about their failure rate how often they've failed um or felt inadequate and then of course all you feel is this void and I think that is another strong characteristic of imposter syndrome is the should idealized version the key is to be discerning And to really be conscious when you go onto, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, it's just to think, okay, how do I feel when I see this person pop up? Notice the feeling. Is that a feeling you want more of in your life? If no, then unfollow. Why do
0: so many of us water down or compromise on our dreams and ambitions?
6: Because when you go all in on your dreams, And ambitions, there will inevitably be moments of pain and loss, Mm. of losing things. And then that might be things that you lose that are ultimately going to serve you long term, but patterns of comfort and familiarity, and again around identity as well the person that you were versus the person that you're becoming. It involves emotional and sometimes um, sort of real material risks. And it's whether that pull, which is often the more primitive survival side of us going, yoink, we want you safe. Is that pull going to override that greater perspective we often have of, I want to look back on my life. I feel like I did everything that I wanted yeah. to do. I often invite people, instead of pushing that imposter syndrome away, squashing it pretending it's not there yeah which is only going to make it come back stronger is to invite it in actually and one of the most powerful things you can do is to sit down with a pen and paper and say fine imposter syndrome what do you want to say to me today and let your pen flow let the imposter syndrome voice come through because that part of you that is driving your imposter syndrome has a positive intention It is trying to help you. It is scared of something. And when you give it the time and the space to say what it wants to say, what it needs to say, it doesn't need to shout so loudly anymore. And you can soothe it. And just having those words down on paper rather than having it thrumming in Mm -hmm. your brain can make Mm -hmm. the world of difference. A really straightforward journaling exercise. So at the end of every day, write down just two things say that you are pleased happened just anything you're glad happened in your day and then how are you responsible for making that happen that's it so we're talking really really simple and that is just beginning to flex that muscle of instead of dismissing who you are and your achievements being mindful in your day of what's gone well and then how are you responsible for it to just practice celebrating in a really low-key way just to ease your nervous system into doing that how you were responsible for that positive thing having happened Taken
0: from episode 9 of the Happier Life Project, Tackling the imposter Monster with Sally Heady. And we had Gina Swire sharing some words on self-love before it. I'm Gabby and I think now it's time to move on to some more practical advice. So at the start of the year, I spoke to Vicky Silverthorne for episode 22 of the Happier Life Project about the importance of a tidy house for a tidy mind.
7: There are a ton of studies that have been done all over the world that do directly link how we feel to how our home uh, not only looks but obviously what's in it. Um, If we think of this in in simple terms initially, if there's a cluttered home, it's like visual distractions and a physical to-do list shouting at you every time you look at it. However, where Mm. our minds are so full, we don't necessarily have that conscious thought oh I've got to do that I've got to do that I've got to do that it's just this like underlying consistent shouting and how can that not cause stress you know if we have a massive to-do list that gives us something to do it gives a lot of people anxiety but when a home is cluttered especially visually it's it's the Mm. same thing it really is Um, and that brings you down it can affect your productivity hugely which in turn won't make you feel great if you're not having a productive day it can have so many effects on uh relationships you know is one person more cluttered than the other Is one person feeling it more in the home that they need to start shifting things around and getting rid of things it's the other person not noticing it so much that there's just so many the list is endless to me now after all the years of reading about it it seems so obvious um, yeah. You know, another thing is, you know, anyone who suffers from ADHD like myself, you know, I simply can't handle the when my home gets to a point of, of more extreme, not extreme clutter, but when my home gets to a point of uh, slight chaos. And that's not OCD. I'm not a minimalist. It's mm. just has such a huge impact on day to day life. But like you say, we can do something about it.
0: In terms of like so many people, especially since the pandemic are working remotely, other people have been working remotely for for a long time. But if you don't have the luxury of a separate room in terms of like finding that area where, you know, right, this is where I work and and how to maximise productivity again, when we're like super stressed because we're surrounded by things. I'm saying this to you from my kitchen, so you know I'm not practicing. What preach. So- <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, do you have any pointers there in terms of how we can? Because again, it goes back to the psychological thing, right? I mean, work is work. You could be sat on your sofa typing on your laptop versus sat in a space that you've made for yourself typing on your laptop but there's something in the psyche that affects our productivity and motivation and inspiration and all of that stuff
7: absolutely so for me personally the the clearer the spaces around me the more productive i am 100 i think of my dining table which is my office um as a bit of a hot desk so what i did was i cleared one cupboard in my kitchen which is right next to me in the nearest cupboard and at the end of the day, that's where my hot desk, my desk contents get packed away. So I have my laptop, I have a box with any um, notepads or paperwork, A4 box, sits on top of the laptop and wires all go in this beautiful little basket oh, yes. that lives on my table. And if I opened it, it's not particularly tidy, it doesn't need to. And that's the whole, you know, that's the whole point. At the end of the day, I can put mm-hmm. in there pop the other items away in my cupboard and that's my desk done. The next day I open the cupboard, yeah. laptop and box comes out very easily um, and that's how I've made it work for me because at the end of the day, I want my desk to turn back into a dining table and what I always do is put a candle out, light the candle and that to me sort of signifies end of day, end of work. Oh, I love this. Yeah, th- those tiny things mm. make a really big difference but I think clearing that cupboard out and having somewhere to put the contents of your your desk at the end of the day Mm. is a big deal. That's the biggest advice I've got. And, you know, even if we're using a desk in our home in a different room, in a spare room or anywhere else, I think having that sort of little routine at the end of play, at the end of the day is really good. And then in the morning, you come to a fresh start, a tidy desk, A4 box basket for wires. Keep it that simple. Again, my my whole ethos, Keep it so simple that you can actually keep it up and follow it. What is a simple, actionable thing that we can all do
0: uh, when it comes to decluttering and detoxing our home that will help us on our path to building a happier life?
7: Okay, so I think the strongest question you can ask yourself when you are decluttering, throw anything out the window and ask yourself, can I live without this? And the second strong thought, because I think thoughts are really important with this question, is to think about what we own that we need and what we own that we just want. And when you separate your stuff into those two different categories, it can be quite powerful thinking about what goes and what stays. So, yeah, they're two things. And just the last mm. to that, to start the process, also try Get a bag, normal normal bag, hang it on a doorknob, and make that decision at that moment that you're going to consciously look around your home slightly differently. and if your eyes gaze on something you know can go, put it straight in the charity bag and start filling it. And that's a really good sort of small ongoing tip for people just to notice your home in a slightly different way.
0: How does breath work help our general state of wellness?
8: Mm, Yeah, I think in a number of ways. So at the crux of a lot of the benefits of breathwork is our nervous system. So I always come back to this sort of mantra that we experience our lives through the lens of our nervous system. And what I mean by that is that if your nervous system uh, is triggered into a state of kind of stimulation, activation, fight, flight, then the world around you will feel dangerous. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, if your nervous system is calm and balanced and regulated, then the world around you will feel more calm, even if nothing externally has changed. And so our breath has a unique ability to act almost like this remote control into our nervous system to change where you sit within that spectrum of stress and relaxation. And so for our general well-being, it's really about giving yourself this very accessible, as we've mentioned, tool and powerful tool that can actually directly influence your nervous system state. And your nervous system is like this mind-body connection that can influence both the physical and the mental. And so for your overall well-being, this ability to actually manage your state through a tool that is very simple can be extremely effective on a practical level, but also very empowering in the sense that it gives you back a level of autonomy and sort of, the ability to respond to how you feel just through kind of manipulating, managing, changing how you breathe at a conscious mm-hmm. level. These simple breathing exercises that we can all do in the moment and kind of as part of a daily practice, which I think is where we get a lot of sort of our benefits day to day for general well-being. I'd say these practices can fall into sort of two camps. So you've got your um, preventative and you've got your reactive So I'd say, you know, if you find yourself feeling really, really anxious about whatever it might be, then there are tools that you can use in that moment to calm yourself and actually dampen the intensity of that anxiety, which is more reactive. And then from a sort of daily routine perspective, there are certain techniques and tools that you can use that will actually proactively and preventively regulate your nervous system. So if you think that if you're chronically stressed, you're going to be in this place of activation and stimulation more often than not. And that's mm. why we experience stress. So what can we do day to day on a consistent level to bring you back to a better place of balance in any given moment? Because if you're in that place of balance to begin with, then stress actually from an external perspective impacts you less intensely so i actually came to sort of teach breathwork through my own experiences with pretty severe anxiety with panic attacks and with depression and you know i have always been a big advocate of therapy i meditate i'm very active i kind of do all the things that someone would tell you to do Mm. um but breathwork was the the biggest factor in moving me through a lot of those challenges that i was facing and the role of breathwork within that again sort of splits quite neatly into into two realms so the day-to-day practices that we've talked about were pretty profound for my anxiety because i was able to actually mitigate the intensity of anxiety that i was experiencing i was able to help myself move through panic attacks more easily Um, and i was really able to sort of get a handle and get a grip on my anxiety and i really loved you know i think for anybody who's experienced any level of anxiety you can relate to this feeling of being a passenger to your own mind you're sort of just you know Mm -hmm. something happens and before you know it you're having a panic attack and it's just you've gone down the path and it's happened breath and breath work gave me i always like to think about the word responsibility as the ability to respond and it gave me a level of responsibility that I hadn't had for a very long time so I went from feeling extremely passive to triggers and thoughts to actually feeling a lot more in control and almost back in the driver's seat of my own mind through these simple practices that were able to help me manage the severity of my anxiety wow. Or sort of depression but from my own personal experience I would pin that more to some of these more therapeutic, deeper spiritually led practices that you can find within the breathwork space. So um, you can have certain experiences through breathwork that allow you to um, access altered states of consciousness. So we often think of altered states of consciousness as something associated with, you know, psychedelics and plant medicine and sort of things that are either illegal or way out there but through breath you can actually access similar states of of consciousness and i remember in one specific session uh, a few years ago probably about three and a half years ago now i experienced um, joy and i experienced sort of almost euphoria and happiness in that session that i hadn't felt since i was a child like i couldn't remember ever feeling that happy and for someone who experienced depression that was a bit of a revelation. I was like, oh, happiness actually exists. And so it was really just like pulling back the curtain, opening my eyes to how I could feel. And it was a reminder more than anything. And I think quite often those kind of slightly altered state experiences give us that ability to access parts of ourselves, access parts of our mind that we can't access at that time through normal sort of day-to-day consciousness what i think is one of the other really significant benefits of that kind of experience is and this is all sort of emerging in the research but there's a general consensus that when we do this kind of breath work we actually allow ourselves to clear and process emotional energy that is stored in our nervous system so if we as humans, we have this sort of unique ability because we're very intelligent to stop ourselves from fully expressing an emotion because, you know, we don't want to sob because someone will judge us. We don't want to Mm -hmm. shout and be angry because someone will judge us. It's usually Mm -hmm. about judgment Mm -hmm. of self or from other people. Um, And when we do that, we actually, we don't complete that emotional expression we don't complete that stress cycle and when we do that that if we think about emotions as energy in motion that energy gets stored in our nervous system and it almost builds up this layer of gunk and Mm. horribleness on it's not technical terms but um (laughs) it gets stuck in the nervous system and that can actually turn into inflammation it can turn into physical ailments but also mental and emotional issues so we give ourselves the opportunity almost to scrub some of that gunk away when we do certain styles of breath work which can really alleviate a lot of the emotional uh, issues that people might be experiencing and so that's where it can be really profound for our emotional health as well as those other areas that we've touched upon i think simply by you know us having this conversation people listening to this conversation people naturally start to become more aware of their breathing. They start to notice Mm -hmm. it a little bit more. And I I really encourage everyone to get familiar with your own breath and see what works for you. That's how you build an effective toolkit is to, yes, take on board the the professional advice, but Mm -hmm. also we're all unique our breaths all look and feel slightly different and so how an exercise affects you might be different to how it affects me and somebody mm-hmm. else and so learning a little bit more about your own breath and seeing what feels good and seeing what feels bad and a little bit of trial and error as well um but as a starting point yeah easy easy place to begin simplicity consistency coherent breathing
6: mm-hmm.
7: 10 minutes
8: a day 20 minutes a day if you've got the time um, but making it a daily practice, I think we often underestimate the, how profound a consistent and a genuinely consistent practice can be. We want magic bullets and unfortunately they don't exist. Um, so it's about that kind of consistency over time, which then leads to big changes.
1: Anything in life is built. Healthy relationships are built confidence is built having high self-esteem is built we create these things for ourselves and I think people think again people think sometimes that it just happens it's gonna happen I'm Mm -hmm. waiting for the day that it happens and Mm -hmm. you have to say no that day is going to come when you make changes when you take actionable steps and when you recognize you're teaching your brain "Oh, this thing can be done
0: a lot of people struggle with finding their purpose in life You know, you can have the great job, you can have everything on paper, but there's still something and you can't put your finger on what it is that's just not making you feel right. And I wonder, again, through the lens of confidence, do you think finding purpose? And finding purpose might be just, not just, but it might be in volunteer work. It might be serving others with no agenda. That might be something that just fulfills you in a way that other things
1: don't. I think purpose is definitely important because studies do show that when people find that they have purpose and meaning in life, they're able to get through hardships and adversity in a different way compared to people who feel like they don't have meaning, meaning. they feel lost. Because when you feel like you have purpose and meaning, you have something to cling to that gives you hope and it gives you a reason to wake up in the morning. It gives you a sense of passion. It tells you, it lights this spark within you where despite what's going wrong, these are the things that are going right. And there's so much more out there. And so I do think meaning, finding meaning and purpose is very, very important for our livelihood and for just nourishing our well-being. And I think it's a cycle. I think that when we find the things that we're passionate about and gives us purpose, we become more confident. And I do think when we have confidence, we're able to step out to find the thing that we feel gives us purpose. And so I think that for some people, we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that we want to try? Because learning what you're passionate about also requires you to try new things. It requires you to step out of your comfort zone. The things that you think about often, the things that you're like, you know, when I'm on a computer on social media, I dream about that. That might be a sign that maybe it's something that really does interest you. And so until you try it, you won't really know what it feels like, right? It's just in in your imagination right now. It's not real. It's not tangible until you do it. So I really encourage people to start thinking about things that are very important to them, things that they have not tried, that they have a strong connection and desire to try. And put yourself out there and see how it makes you feel. You might find that I wanted to try this thing for so long and I did it and it's terrible. And you realize, oh, this isn't for me after all. But then you Mm -hmm. do it and on the other side, it could be, wow, I really love this. And it's not just a job. I think it's important to remember your purpose is not just your career. It could be many other things, you know, and so I think when we put ourselves out there through confidence to confidently say I'm going to try this thing I'm going to take the risk, then you're able to see how purpose develops in your life. I ask
0: every guest at the end of the episode to set us some homework. What is a simple, actionable thing that we can all do when it comes to improving our confidence that will help us on our journey to building a happier life?
1: I would say, think of something that you've been wanting to try for the first time and get it done. And it can be simple. It could be, I want to try a new recipe. I might find that I want to try to run you know, an extra mile on a treadmill. Let me see if I can push myself to do that. What is something that you've been wanting to try lately and find the courage to just do it? Don't think too deeply about it. Don't let fear get in the way. Just try it and see what the results are.
0: Oh, I had to squeeze in a bit more of Mina B to conclude our season wrap-up. That was taken from episode 26 of the Happier Life Project. And you heard from Jamie Clements before Mina. Jamie's episode is episode 8 and called A Beginner's Guide to Breathwork. And that, my friends, concludes season 1 of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouraging and lovely reviews. If you think a friend could benefit from this podcast, please do share it with them. My possible self works tirelessly with the Priory Healthcare to provide the best clinically certified content to help you with your mental health and wellness journey for free. And all we ask in return is that you do support us however you can and help us to grow so that we can continue doing what we do. And on that note, there is more to come from the Happier Life Project before we kick off season two in the fall. It'll be on Instagram where we announce things first. So if you're not already following us, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. And finally, if you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. The content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice and the primary Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. Please do take care really look after yourself and I'll see you very soon. Lots of love and bye for now.